The 4 O'Clock Football Frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. Cofield and Company here on this Wednesday out here at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. Great, great action going on. Lots of games to bet. Come on down here and join us. And if you want to bet on the NFL, you might need a little bit of information. So that's where we're counting down all of the top teams in the NFL. We are at number 14 with the Los Angeles Chargers right here in the AFC West in the division. And of course, anytime we're talking Chargers, we turn to our good friend, Gilbert Manzano, uh, who joins Adam Hill and Willie Ramirez here on this Wednesday. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm kind of surprised, though, Adam, that I'm on the show with you and Willie right now because your boy, Tyrod Taylor, does not play for the Chargers. He's in Houston. So if you want to talk about Chargers, I'm a little shocked right now. Where is he on the death chart in Houston, Gilbert? <laughs> He's a starter, right? I haven't really kept keeping up, but I'm assuming he is. He's the starter. He's the starting quarterback for the Texans. Good news for everyone. We can all be tuned in. And the Chargers have a quarterback of their own in Justin Herbert. A lot of expectations this year, which is very different from how last year started. How has he been handling, I guess, the increased expectations going into this year? Yeah, he's kind of like handling it the same way as last year. Like, I feel like nothing really phases this guy. Uh, Justin Herbert, he's kind of always been low-key. Like he, He's talking a little more with the media. He's joking around, but I feel like that's kind of one thing that kind of helped him out a year ago to be the rookie of the year is not to get rattled that he, you know, pressure doesn't really, really phase him. It's kind of like a little stoic out there, a little robotic at times. So when I asked him about pressure, I, I asked the guy at pretty much every time I see him, you set the bar so high, how do you kind of manage expectations and pressure? And he kind of gives me a response saying, we kind of keep it in-house. You know, the same kind of boring question, uh, response. Like we, we, we focus on our, on our own 53 guys or 90 right now or 80 right now, and that's kind of the same response I get. So I think for him it works like it works uh, to his benefit. So – I know, you know a lot of people are interested in, you know, after a great rookie season, do you take a big step forward? How do you build on it? Is there regression? Really catching up a little bit. And I know, you know, one of the things that uh, I've heard a lot from the pro football focus guys, and, you know, I know people feel how they feel about them. Uh, some people love them. Some people hate them. Uh, but one of the things that they have said is a lot of the stuff that Justin Herbert did really, really well is stuff that is not you know, consistent from year to year for most quarterbacks. And a lot of the stuff he struggled with are things that are consistent from year to year. And that's why they're kind of looking at this as a regression year for Justin Herbert. Is that fair? Or is that something that's been talked about around the team? Yeah. You know, a, a little bit because what he was doing a year ago, especially on third down with pressure with such a bad offensive line, you kind of don't want him to do that anymore. Right. So I think if you're the Chargers, you're kind of hoping that, you know, there's no more, you know, dynamic plays on third down, third and long. Uh, especially, but they have improved the offensive line. And the other thing we've got to think about, which is something I kind of bring up often, is like he's going through a new coaching staff. Uh, obviously, Joe Lombardi came from a good uh, scheme in, in New Orleans, but he was a, a play caller in Detroit, and that didn't work out too well. Brandon Staley was a great mastermind on defense for the Rams, but he is a first-time head coach as well, very young coaching staff overall. So uh, you don't know how fast they're going to cl click uh, Herbert and Lombardi and Staley, but just kind of being around Brandon Staley, he's one of those guys that just gets it. He, he is very creative, very innovative, uh, a player's coach. He wants to build off a, play, a player's strength, what they do well. Uh, so I think they've been really working together, Staley and Herbert. Like, okay, what is comfortable for you? Did you like a lot of things that, that Lynn did a year ago? We'll keep a bunch of that. 
And then you bring in Joe Lombardi and kind of bring in some of his ideas from the New Orleans team. Uh, I think with Joe Lombardi, when I talked to him, he said, I've learned so much from that Detroit stint that he was too focused on uh, copying uh, Sean Payton in New Orleans to replicate that in Detroit, and it didn't work out with Megatron and, and, and Stafford. So I think Lombardi has grown from that. And being with his good friend, Brandon Staley, they go way back from Mercyhurst uh, University. I think Lombardi was uh, Staley's uh, uh, OC when he was a, a quarterback in college. So I think these guys are a good group. They're very collective uh, uh, thinking. Uh, but you, you do kind of expect some regression for, for Herbert because, you know, he just set the bar really high. And it's going to be a lot of new things. Also, defenses adjust. I think the best quarterbacks in the NFL are the ones that do it year in, year out. There's a lot of tape out, out there on you. And you kind of you do an adjustment to an adjustment. So I think for Herbert, you got to see that uh, in year two. But I think overall, what I've seen, uh, this group is kind of meant to work together. They've kind of been bouncing ideas off each other. So I'm kind of curious to see how this team kind of plays out. Uh, but if, if if you're trying to maybe in thinking about regression and numbers for Herbert, maybe it's a good thing you're running the ball a little more because this team was pretty bad in, in the running game. They weren't efficient. That's that's why they were third along so long, so many times for Herbert. Gilbert, uh, you know, over over the over a career, you sort of get used to seeing certain names, certain players shine, and and it's 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 always intriguing to me when I see a junior come into the league. So, Asante Samuel Jr. is right now currently listed second on the depth chart in the defensive backfield. But what, how are you seeing his sort of his his progression just in training camp and acclimating himself and and what are what are you hearing or what are you seeing and 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 the feedback from the coaches in terms of him blending him blending him into you know a a defense that has to really step up you mentioned defensive changes uh, you know in in Herbert adjusting to other or and other defenses adjusting to him but in a very tough division that has some explosive offenses in terms of the, the opponents and the rivals that they have in you know the uh, the Raiders had a high scoring offense the Chiefs obviously but you know talk a little bit about Asante Samuel Jr and 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 what he's brought and the prospect of him sort of emerging for this defense yeah, you know, with Asante, there's been a, a good amount amount of mistakes, and you kind of expect that from a rookie cornerback who has a lot on his plate. But you see the the flashes of high potential. You see why he was the second round pick for the Chargers, and, and you kind of see why a lot of you know teams had him in the first round. It, like, still kind of a surprise that he kind of fell out of the first round, but he was still in the second for the Chargers. But he had uh, an interception uh, last week at the 49ers, where he kind of displayed the ball hawk uh, awareness, playmaking awareness. But on that same route, you kind of got a little bit of everything of the experience for Asante Samuel Jr. as a rookie. Uh, he was behind the route against Brandon Ayuk, but he still, you know, was in the right place at the right time, and he caught the ball. I, I, to give him credit, catching the interception. But I think Brandon Staley told them something on the sidelines saying, "You, you're, you're behind on the route. You didn't do that part right." Well, we love the playmaking skills, the awareness, and make, make complete the play. And then after that, he celebrated with his helmet off, and he got a penalty. Uh, as well, so it's kind of been an up and down roller coaster for Asante Samuel Jr. But I think the flashes are why this team is very excited for his future. And uh, you know, like you mentioned, Willie, it's good, it is going to be a, a you know a tough matchup week in and week out. But this guy's competitive. Uh, Derwin James really loves him, not just because they went to Florida State together, but he just loves how much he competes. Every time I ask him, like, do you prefer playing inside or outside? He he loves to play outside because that's where the best receivers are at. But he doesn't mind being versatile and playing uh, as a slot cornerback and outside cornerback. And um, he just has a lot on his plate, especially in a Brandon Staley defensive scheme. They play a lot of man-to-man defense. Uh, 
Uh, so I think it's going to be, you know, a lot for him on his plate. So I think uh, for Chargers fans and Vegas are going to listen to this, uh, you know, expect a good amount of mistakes for, for a rookie cornerback. It's going to happen in the NFL when you face the best of the best, especially Patrick Mahomes twice a year. <laughs> you know, you're facing Derek Carr or, or whatever happens in, in Denver with, with Locke and Teddy. Uh, but you're going to face a lot of competition, especially in the division. So I think for Asante, it's going to be a lot of uh, growing pains, but I really like his future. And I, I've seen a lot of that talent on display uh, during training camp. Follow him on Twitter at GManzano24, uh, the best in Chargers coverage anywhere. Uh, you can check that out. You mentioned Brandon Staley a couple times, and he's intriguing to me. I like him. I, I like his potential as a coach. I like his future as a coach. But, like, I, I'm very intrigued by this notion that everybody seems to have of, well, Anthony Lynn sucked. He's gone, so the Chargers are going to be a better <laughs> coach now. Like, I, I, don't, I think that's kind of crazy. We don't know what he's going to be like as a coach. Yeah, no, I'm with you there, Adam. Especially a, a coaching staff a year ago helped Justin Herbert have, you know, arguably the best uh, rookie rookie of the year all time for 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 quarterback. They did a lot of great things together. Anthony Lane was a, you know, he got knocked a lot. I felt like. I think his thing was uh, being too loyal to his coordinators and, and not adjusting too fast. But he did a lot of great things uh, with the Chargers. Now, you know, with Brandon Staley, it's kind of a lot of an unknown. You, like you're just kind of assuming because you're going from an older head coach to a younger one that it's going to be very, you know, creative into analytics, uh, you know, analytics and numbers and, and going for it on fourth down and running and passing the ball on first down. So you kind of just assume he's going to be uh, with the trends. Uh, you know, I, I really, I still feel like he's going to, he's going to, he's going to do all that. Uh, but we, we got to see it on, on, on game days because he's going to be calling the plays on defense. And you still got to be the head coach on offense, on special teams. How can you run all that as a first-time head coach? And nobody on the Chargers uh, coaching staff has ever been a head coach in the NFL. So it's a very young group. I'm kind of wondering how that, that's going to play out. Like with Anthony Lynn's coaching staff, there was a lot of experienced guys. Gus Bradley was with the Raiders right now, former head coach with the, with the Jaguars. So there was a lot of experience. Uh, this coaching staff does not have that. So that's why I'm not really all in on all the – you know, the hype on the Chargers, maybe because I've been covering this team for so many years that it's, there's always an injury here, a missed field goal there, a blown lead here, where the Chargers don't really kind of live with their potential. Uh, but this year, I'm kind of concerned about the coaching staff because I've never seen them. But so far, everything I've seen from Brandon Staley and Joe Lombardi and Ronaldo Hill, uh, Frank Smith, former Raider uh, coach as well, um, they've all have said the right things, but you got to see it on game days. And, and preseason doesn't show you anything either. So, uh, I know for 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 defense, I, I'm kind of you know, I feel a little better about that on defense because Brandon Staley did it with the Rams, and I know he had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, but you know that was still a great scheme, and he's kind of they, they evolved it from the Vic Fangio uh, uh, sorry scheme, and I'm okay there. The offense is the one that kind of concerned me. I really haven't seen uh, Lombardi in five years, and the, the only time we did see him, he struggled. So I want to see what he does with Justin Herbert before I feel really good about. Uh, this team, and I don't know if you're going to ask me, but if Derwin James is on the field, they're going to be okay. But right now, just stay healthy, huh. uh, make some field goals, and win the one-score games. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, as far as his defensive background, Brandon Staley, that is, um, you know, he's spent a lot of time as an outside linebackers coach as far as uh, in the league, the Bears, the Broncos, and then he was a defensive coordinator with the Rams. So that defensive mind coming in, Adam brings up a good point where, you know, okay, well, uh, Lynn's out, Staley's in, this should be improved. But if he's a defensive-minded coach, one of the concerns has to be, I would imagine, because it's come up during training camp here with the Raiders. I know I asked uh, John Gruden about it 
after the Seahawks uh, preseason game, and he got a little disgruntled and said it's still a sore subject, and he's tired of talking about it, but not too far off from the Raiders, which ranked 23rd in red zone percentage um, as far as converting into touchdowns. The Chargers were 21st at 57.1%, and that has to be an area that the Chargers want to you know, improve upon, and now you have a defensive-minded head coach um, has that been a point of emphasis at any time during the training camp? Yeah, you know, with, with the Chargers defense, you know, it, it's pretty much all brand new. It, it's kind of night and day from what Gus Bradley's, you know, used to do with the Chargers for four years. You know, what you're going to see now in Las Vegas is, is uh, a lot of a zone defense, uh, uh, bend but don't break defense. With, with Staley, it's all about being aggressive, man to man defense. So, you know, I really don't know how it's going to be for the red zone defense, but, you know, their thing is more about being aggressive, you know, creating takeaways. So, who knows, maybe in the red zone defense that kind of might kill you, you know, being too aggressive, uh, you know, with the blitzes and, and stuff like that. And that, that's something I want to see as well. Going back to Adam's question, he's like, how is this going to play out? Because it's a, it's a different, you know, personnel group for the Chargers on defense. Are you going to be playing the same way? Is everything going to be too new for these guys? A lot of different formations, groupings, will it be too complicated as well? Uh, so, uh, you know, I think for the Chargers, you know, people like are just, are just assuming that just because the coaching staff is, is new, things are going to be fixed. So stuff like the red zone, stuff like special teams, stuff like the offensive line could all be a, could be a problem for this coaching staff. But I think, you know, because it is a new, a new group, you want to give them a clean slate and, and think, assume that you're going to fix everything. So the Chargers are nine for their season win total. I'll ask you if you think over or under that, because I think it's a pretty good number. But going forward <laughs> off of that, does this team finish second, third, or fourth in the division? I always hate these questions because these Chargers like, always look great on paper. The <laughs> Derwin James, Joey Bosa, now Justin Herbert, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, I could keep going on and on. But they always burn me. Like they, they lose these one score games, and like I keep saying, in field goals, injuries. But because you're the, the the at the time we're talking right now, Derwin James is healthy. He, I actually had just had a you know great conversation with him for a story. I'm gonna plug my my feature on the OC Register in a, in a week. Look out for my Derwin James feature. He's very excited to play, he, and he's healthy. He made it through camp for the first time in, in two years healthy. I think he is the difference maker for the Chargers. So for me. I will go over on the um, on the nine number for the Chargers. I you know they won't go eleven wins, but I see ten wins be a, a playoff contender. You know you know get him get him by as a wild card six or seven or five one whatever it is now the formation. Uh, they will be a playoff team if Derwin James is on the field. There you go. So that's got to be that's got to be second place. Yeah, sorry, second place. Yes, I, I see that. Uh, with the Raiders, it's kind of the same thing. They also burn me because I feel like their defense will get better, and it never really does. They're, they're, they're trying to bring back Khalil Mack, and they're kind of regretting what they did, so that's kind of funny to see that. Uh, but hopefully Gus Bradley fixes the Raiders' defense, and, and I, I really like Gus Bradley as a coordinator. I think it was just time for a change with the Chargers. He usually does well in, in his first year, but I got to see it for the defense and with the Broncos. When you, you, when you have two you know, so-so quarterback, you probably won't do too well. But I love them on defense. I love the playmakers, but you can't decide on Teddy and Drew Locke. I don't really see them having a good uh, good season. Um, last thing before we get you out of here, and uh, thank you for, for plugging that a week out, and uh, make sure you go check out all of Gilbert's stuff. Uh, but I think I saw a quote yesterday as we sit here Wednesday and uh, and talk about this. I think I saw a quote yesterday that said that one of the players said the Chargers could have the best defense in the league. 
Is that true? Well, do you remember which player? <laughs> I didn't. I have to look that back up. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you do see it because they have, they have playmakers at all, all at all phases of, of the defense. You know, you have Joey Bosa up top, but that that's a concern for me as a defensive line. They lost Melvin Ingram, and they have a bunch of inexperienced guys, and they're very thin. So that's already a problem for me on the defensive line. Joey Bosa is great; he's a great starter. Uh, but I feel like this team has been a one-man show on the defensive line the last couple of years, and, and Joey Bosa can't do it by himself, uh, and, he, and he's really great. Uh, linebackers, they, they have a great duel, uh, an emerging duel with, with uh, Kenneth Murray and, and it, Drew it was, Tranquil. It was Kenneth Murray, by the way. Oh, that's right. I saw. Actually, I was just there an hour ago. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it was Kenneth Murray that said that. Uh, but you, I thought you meant somebody from outside the Chargers. No, no, anybody, no. Anytime, anytime you ask somebody on the Chargers defense, yes, they say they're number one. Derwin James said that all the time. Jerry Bosa. That's just them, you know, being their own promoters, hyping themselves up. Uh, but if you look at the, look at the roster on paper, yes, they have the, the potential. And then you have the guy who had the number one defense a year ago, and Brandon Staley with the Rams. It's shaping out to be a, a great defense, but. Uh, and, and I think this coaching staff is a really good. Uh, they're really good at, at being teachers and getting the best of players who haven't reached their potential. Like there's really a lot of young guys on defense, like Nazir Adderley, Jerry Tillery, uh, Chandler Wilson, uh, Michael Davis. These are guys that have talent but haven't really reached the potential. Now you bring in kind of a, a great teacher and uh, Brandon Staley. Maybe he could be the guy to to get these guys to reach that potential because. Tom Telesco, the GM of the Chargers, has spent a lot of draft capital on the defense. Like, they've been mediocre. They've been fine average. They haven't been bad. But you're spending first-round picks on these guys like Kenneth Murray, uh, second-rounders on, on Nawusu. Uh, Jerry Tiller was the first-round pick. Nazir Ali was the second-round pick. So there's a lot of first-rounders and second-rounders on the defense. You would think that they'll, they have a lot of talent. But it kind of just feels like maybe they're top-heavy with Derwin James and Jerry Bosa. But who knows? Brandon Staley could maybe get these guys to figure it out and they become the number one defense. But I think for right now, it's too soon for me to kind of give them that mantle. There you go. Great, great stuff. As always, make sure you follow at tw- on Twitter at gmanzano 24 And where can people find all of your great stuff, including that feature coming up on Derwin James? Yeah, uh, Orange, County, Orange County Register website or the Los Angeles Daily News. Or just follow me on Twitter at gmanzano 24 I will post it. Uh, make sure to listen to my podcast. I'm going to plug everything. Compass on the beat. Uh, talk Chargers. uh Anything in boxing, wrestling, anything I like. You know, you guys know me, uh, Willie and Adam. I like a lot of things uh, in terms of sports, so i give it a listen as well. There you go. Great stuff. Check that out, and uh, we thank you, man. Thanks, Gil. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. That was great. And to piggyback off your uh, talking about Kenneth Murray, what's funny is his pin tweet, Adam. Uh, January 10th, 2017, he said, three years from now, I will be a first-round draft pick as an OLB. Just wait. He quoted it April 23rd, 2020, and said, I did it. Hashtag Chargers. So maybe he does foresee the future and knows a little something about something. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher, and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. I don't care if the sun don't shine. I do my drinking in the evening time when I'm in Las Vegas. 
back here, Cofield and Company, on this Wednesday from the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. Get down here, hang out with us today or anytime when you want to get your bets in. And uh, it's a great spot to not only get your bets in, but to watch the games. Good spot here in, I guess, Summerlin. It's, a great, it Summerlin. it's a great spot. You know, I've been coming here for years, and, and one of my favorite uh, blackjack stories from back in the day is one day I sat down. On, I, I like to play third base, but I would sat down at first base because taking the third base spot was Oral Hershiser. Wow. And he was really cool. We uh, we took a walk to the little courtyard and got a cigar and <laughs> just kind of BS'd with one another and hung out. And, and we appreciate he appreciated because, you know, he it, he wasn't like playing big, big dollars, but we appreciated each other's company because we each knew what we were doing and playing you know, blackjack the way it's supposed to play. But that, uh, so this, uh, Wait, the, who, whose idea was it to take a walk and get a cigar? I think we both just said, I, we were just talking in general about the cigar place. Have you ever been over there? Cause they had a, there's a, there's an area where you can smoke. You know, it's a, it's not just a cigar shop. Sure. And I don't remember who said, let's go get one, but we just started talking about cigars. And so we ended up over there. Wow. Did you, no, this is, a very, but it is fat pack, so it's. I'm going in this direction anyway. Hmm. Did you then, after the cigar, go share a banana split? No, we did not. It was okay. too late at night. We were, well, that's a perfect time for a banana split. We were having, I think, well, I don't think that they would have served it at the blackjack table, and I don't know if they had a, a spot to, to, to have a, a banana oh, split. Oh, we can find a banana split anytime here at this wonderful establishment. It is, I bring that up because it is. National Split Day. Oh, I'm sure they did really? in the yeah in the restaurant. Uh, Blackjack was important that night. Banana splits are an interesting topic. We've done this before mm. for a couple of different reasons, but mm. I'll just I'll start with the basics. Okay. Okay. Just we'll just jump right into. Do you if you order a banana split if you're out? Yeah. I think you know you're very healthy, so I don't think you're doing this, and I'm not doing this anymore. But if you're ordering a banana banana split when you're out, are you just ordering a banana split? And letting them bring it the way it comes, or are you customizing? Because I'll tell you this: it's usually vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry ice cream, and then you get the bananas. Of course, you get like hot fudge on one of them, and then like caramel on another one, like strawberry sauce on another one. Like they kind of mix it up. So, are you just ordering and letting it, letting them bring it as they would? I think I am. I think if I'm out and about and. And I'm ordering a banana split because you have to remember that's a that's an exquisite menu item that if you're ordering that you're preparing for you're like you have to prepare yourself mentally to take it down or if you go out somewhere to you know let's go for ice cream right so like back when I was a little kid here in Vegas like we used to go to to the old MGM. When it, which is now Bally's, sure. and there was a Swinson's ice cream shop. Like that was a, that okay. was a treat to go there. So you, so if you're going out for a banana split, I think you have it in mind that wherever you're going, you're going to get their banana split, right? So, sure. so you're not going to tell them to customize it. Now, if you're going to an ice cream place, like you know, there's 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 different ice cream places in town. Um, I I think that you may switch it up if that's your every time go to order. There's there are certain places in town that have their their specialty um, dishes or their specialty, but I think everybody puts their own personal touch on a banana split. So if I was going out and I was going to order it, I would just let them order it because I already know what to expect with those special touches. The, I think the bigger question is is how do you personalize it if you make one at home? 
Oh well, I mean, I, I would do the, if I ordered one again. It, God, I, I, I mean, banana splits are so such a perfect food. Yes, delicious. Um, I it, ideally now, it, I think it depends. I think it depends like where you are. If you're if you're looking around, you're like, oh, this place knows what they're doing. I think you maybe just let them. If they don't, I, I mean, I, okay. So I'll say what's ideally. Ideally, I go all chocolate ice cream and then all like hot fudge. Like don't uh, don't mess around with the other things. Okay. I don't need the vanilla. I don't need the strawberry. Just go chocolate and chocolate and then whatever like whipped cream and, and other stuffs on it. That's fine. But I would just I would try to go all chocolate if I have my ideal order. But sometimes a you don't you might not trust them to get it right. You might just be like I right, just bring whatever. And then sometimes it's, it's like such a nice place that you're just like all right just bring it how you bring it. I'm sure it's gonna be great. But yeah, ideally, I think I'd want to go chocolate, chocolate. Okay, I can go. I can roll with that because chocolate ice cream, just regular old chocolate ice cream, is probably my overall favorite ice cream. When I was little, and I would just go to like Baskin and Robbins, I would get chocolate ice cream with orange sherbet mix. Don't ask me why. I just like that combination. Um, but chocolate is my go-to. Um, if I'm at home making it, it's probably going to have to be with chocolate ice cream because. That's the the ice cream that I would get, sure. yeah, unless it's like a pralines and cream or whatever. But if I'm going to you store, can't make, to, first of all, you can't make a banana split out of that. No, that's what I'm saying. If I'm yeah. going to make a banana split, I'm going to the store to buy all the components, and I'm probably going <laughs> to grab the chocolate ice cream. I'm going to get the, uh, I'm going to get the nuts. I'm okay. going to get the the hot fudge. I'm hold not on, get, I'm wait, not wait, wait a minute, hold on. Yeah, because we have to stop. I, I, I'm I'm either way on the nuts on a on a hot fudge Sunday or on a, a banana split. I could go either way. Right. If they bring them, they bring them. If they don't, I'm actually fine. I'm cool. Don't bring them. Okay. There is literally zero chance on planet Earth that if I make it at home, I'm buying nuts to put on the on the banana split. No, if I'm zero going, if I'm making it, well, you have to remember. You, I mean, you've seen my Instagram stories and the food. You're like, you're I, I'm, go, I'm going. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going all out, and I'm going to make, you know, if I'm going to make it. Now, Now, let me put a twist on this for you, because you even said, you said, now these days, you're a health nut, and then and then no, you, no, you call, health no, nut. no <laughs> not you, okay. you said to me, you said yeah, you're yeah. healthy, and then you have eliminated a lot of uh, sugar stuff. So let me put a twist on this for you, because I have suggested this to fitness clients of my sons with that have a sweet tooth. So you put the banana you get your favorite Greek yogurt, right? And you can freeze it a little bit to get a little bit of a thick substance, right? And then you scoop that. You, you just kind of layer the, 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 the yogurt on there because now you have some protein from that. You can get, um, you can get whipped cream that's sugar-free. And then there are... In health food stores, nutrition where you would go to get you know protein or supplements or pre-workout, whatever, they actually have sugar-free syrups, chocolate syrup or sure. raspberry syrup. Um, and so you can really tailor it and by eliminating the ice cream or using maybe frozen yogurt, froyo, sugar-free froyo, you could go to one of the local shops and get the little cup or get a pint and get uh, sugar-free. And so you can sort of tailor it and make yourself a healthy, low-cal, sugar-free, outside of the banana with the natural sugars and the fruit, um, you can make yourself a healthy banana split. That sounds like a lot of work. And it sounds like it's – like I feel like you'd have that, and then you'd just be like, I really just want banana, like a real banana split with the ice cream yeah, yeah. right and now. And then you just jump in That's and go to the, to the frozen. Leave it to you to ruin Fat Pack with sugar-free ideas <laughs> for the banana split. Well – 
Let's find out next our good friend, Caleb Herring. Let's see what he thinks about banana splits because I feel like he's going to be pro like most people are. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. He has this thing about him. It's just fun to be around him. He likes coming to work. His car, he's got an orange Porsche. Who the hell has an orange Porsche? I pull in here, there's an orange Porsche. I know he's in there. I leave at night, the orange Porsche is here. He's a weird guy. He's a fun guy. He's a hell of a football player. And thank God we got him. Cofield and Company is live at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. We are live. Cofield and Company, Hillness Homies Edition here at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. Caleb Harris is on the phone right now, and we'll uh, speak to him because I can't wait to find out a couple things that he may have to say. But first, very importantly, Ari, uh, are you there? Uh, no, I'm not here. Okay. Uh, how do you spell standby? Yes, that was that was a uh, a mistake on my part. I was not trying to invent a new word. Ari spelled standby like stand b u y. Yeah. Like you, it's like buying something. Yeah. Funky fingers. When you're texting I don't think so. I think you, that's how you thought you spelled speed. it. Because time is of the essence. Caleb Herring joins us. Caleb, how, how embarrassing is it that Ari thinks standby has a, a U in it? What I'm going to say in Ari's defense is that Joe Burrow spelled his name incorrectly on purpose, and it was actually kind of cool that he did it. So maybe, you know, we can make an exception for throwing mixed spellings in occasionally just to spice things up it worked for joe right so i mean i, okay. I got you back ari i got you thank you kill so Fine. i'm cool is what he's saying when ari wins a heisman he can, spe- <laughs> he can spell things however he wants to i can't that's spell heisman ridiculous. correctly either for the record that's good uh caleb herring as we said joins us here uh as we are live from the rampart race and sports book uh, you can hear caleb on the unlv football broadcast which by the way right around the corner we are sneaking up on that time but uh, we did just have a very lengthy discussion because it is National Banana Split Day. Are you in? <laughs> I I am not. I'm not a fan of banana splits. I, what? That, that might be blasphemous to anybody. I don't know how everything has a day, first of all. like It's like <laughs> it's National Green Beans Day. It's National This Day. It's National. Like everything has a day. It's only 365. At some point, we're going to leave something off the list, right? I mean,. Every year, I feel like I find out about a new day that's dedicated to some unhealthy sweet that we all should be, you know, taking <laughs> yeah. in moderation. And and here we are celebrating, I guess, Banana Split Day. Who knew? It has bananas. They're healthy. <laughs> Caleb, tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow once is you, national. Once you dip them in chocolate syrup, I think all the health goes out the oh, window. <laughs> okay. Tomorrow is National Cherry Popsicle Day. Are you in for that? See, why do we even have to specify? Why does cherry popsicle get I, a day? What I, about like what I about like blueberry popsicles? Like what just get out of hand. Who's coming up with this? And we need to put it to an end. It's ridiculous. There 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 you know what? It's crazy. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are nine days tomorrow, including National Toilet Paper Day. Okay, that's ridiculous. That's so, see, this is my point. Because where does it end? Where, it where just, does it, it end? <laughs> Anybody can have. It's like it's like those things. And I forgive anybody who out there has actually done this. It's like those things out there where you can buy a star for your loved one and like name a star. Like who's keeping track of whose name is on each of these stars and who owns the rights to these days? How does anybody have a day when everybody has a day? It's ridiculous. Well, 
takes away the whole point of having a day. It's like finding out that somebody has the same birthday as you. Like, what, are you going to co-celebrate your birthday? No. If you don't have enough days to give everybody their own individual day, what are we doing? Okay, first of all, that's great points. But I, I hope nobody takes this out of context because I'm going to use what you were just talking about to transition to something. Uh, which flavor popsicle is going to start at quarterback for the Rebels? I, I don't know how to go from that. Uh, who's who is going to play quarterback? Do we have any idea? I you know, this might be a bold proclamation by some estimation because by all indications it's been a tight race between Rodgers and Broomfield. But I personally, just from the limited time that I've watched and what I've seen from Broomfield, I think he's the guy. I think he's the starter. I think he has all the tools that you want with the potential on the back end because of what he can become as things progress and the reps and the invaluable confidence that he'll get as a starter. I think will go a long way towards his development and the program's development. You're talking about, you know, building up the program with cornerstones, and I think Broomfield has the opportunity to be that guy. Um, I think you can see some of the improvements just in his physical makeup, the muscle that he's put on um, over uh, an off-season of, of workouts and conditioning. Not as much weight as maybe you would like to see. still a very thin frame, but just the dedication to his craft that he's put in and the, the hours in the summer that um, have, have been put in as well. I think it's the right decision to go ahead and give him the keys to this program for the next few years and, and see how far he can take it. That's my take. I would think that that would be the decision, but I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong about that. Um, but if I were to make that decision, I think Broomfield gets the keys. So, I mean, I guess my question is, and this is impossible to answer, so I'm, I'm sorry to even to throw it out there, but just thinking ahead, if you do go with him, if, you, if that's your decision, how much do you have to be wary of – wanting him to be the guy for a while how much like do you make a change if he's struggling do you let him ride it out like where are you in terms of building a program and what this and how much should that impact the decision you make not only who's starting now but how long you give that person to start uh you know i think i think you you have to give it his due diligence i think you know a couple games struggling especially this year when you're still trying to figure out. You're still a very young team around him in a lot of regards, especially on the offensive line. If, if who starts is projected to start, there's some young pieces on the offensive line as well. Um, and then how your defense performs. So it's going to be really hard to evaluate what constitutes struggling at quarterback. Now, of course, obviously, comes down and throws three picks a game. You're going to have to make a decision. But I don't think either of the quarterbacks is going to be with a year of, of, of coaching and learning under the system under the belt as bad or you know as as non-productive as they were last season so i think there's a, a longer leash when you're trying to build a set the foundations of a program as far as what you're willing to to allow from the guy that you do commit to and whether that's broomfield or rogers whoever you commit to i think they're going to have a longer leash and you have to extend that because you're not going to get the best out of them if they're constantly looking over their shoulders wondering when they're going to get pulled during a game and you saw that last year when uh, each guy got a limited amount of reps, and then the next guy's up, almost like you know, in a rotation at at, at the mound. So it's 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 very tough to to say exactly when that point would be, but I think you definitely extend the grace a little bit longer when you're trying to build up the foundations. And if you think that this guy is the cornerstone to that foundation, you're going to have a longer leash with what he's able to do and and what you're willing to put up with in the in the learning curve and in the process of getting to a winning football team. Uh, we have. Mentioned the name many times, even though he doesn't seem to be even be on the radar, but people are interested. So what is the latest you're hearing in terms of Tate Martell? And, you know, what what could he even be? I mean, it's it's a tough position for him coming in late and also being injured. It's a tough position for, I think, a lot of fans who are like, oh, we want to see him play, but maybe he's not ready. Yet. Like, 
it is a really weird, complicated situation. But what have you been hearing? Yeah, I, it, pretty much the same thing everybody's saying, where he's, he's there, he's not available to play yet. The competition, I think, at this point is he's out of the race. He's not even in the competition as far as um, playing for a starting role because he just hasn't had the reps. He hasn't been able to practice. And at this point, as, as, as strange as it is to say, with as talented as he is and as we know him to be, um, even though people may doubt that you know he has the capability to play again, he can play the game of football. He can play um, at this level and, and be impactful. But I think at this point, Tate Martell becomes more of a distraction, and not because of him, not because of his presence on the team, but because of the expectations, I guess, surrounding him and the, the kind of media circus and frenzy that it was when he decided to walk on at UNLV and the expectations of fans who do, like you said, want to see him play and want to see him back in the community and, and hopefully bring success to the program. I think it becomes a distraction to what the team is trying to do with what is currently available. So, so uh, in that in that aspect, it can be a little bit of a distraction, but I, I think that's kind of where the coaching staff may be moving with the whole Tate Martell narrative. So, Caleb, in in that respect, then in that regard, do you look at this move as where okay, well, we'll let him walk on to, so he's not inactive, and maybe I don't want to use the word favor, but just somewhat letting him come aboard to. Add that name for 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 the local, um, you know, for the locals, or he's coming home to, to to be a part of the program to maybe bring a little bit of a spotlight. Or could you see some packages being built to possibly, you know, he he shifted to receiver at Miami, didn't really get many reps there either. But it, it will or can he be utilized in some way, shape, or form? Because you know, you go back. No, he hasn't had a college career. He hasn't had a lot of reps overall at. at at Ohio State or Miami, but he was the National High School Player of the Year, and he is a talented athlete. And, you know, in, to some regard, if he would have started outside of a Power Five conference, if it, maybe he would have stayed home or went to a Mountain West or, or you know, or, or a Big Sky or somewhere at, a, at what quote-unquote may be deemed a, a lower level, um, he probably would have gotten more playing time. Can he find himself in some packages. Absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, if we're willing to give Tim Tebow a shot at in the professional level that's tied in, why not? You know, I mean, if that guy's talent transcends that much. But no, in, in all seriousness, I think this is kind of the, the, the dilemma that I had when he initially announced or when it was announced that he was walking on was, do you entertain the idea of just to hurry up and get an impact from him, to get him on the field the quickest because of the impact he could have with his talent, um, and because he's demonstrating the ability to play wide receiver at the University of Miami, which is no small feat, by the way, um, to, to get out there on the field and actually earn reps at receiver, what could that translate to UNLV? And the answer is yes. I think you can get value from him at receiver. If he's not going to compete and it's not realistic for him to compete with his injury or whatever the reason that quarterback, um, there may be value in putting him in in packages as a receiver and adding depth, if nothing else, to that position. And then the potential for big plays in the open field if he's able to to actually make a couple catches here or there. And then you get more from him than, you know, being third or fourth on the depth chart at quarterback with an injury of, of no known timeline of when he's going to be available to even compete for the spot. So there's value for him getting on the field, absolutely. Anytime you can add talent to the roster, you should look to maximize it. And that may be something that gets thrown around later on. But I think the concept of him walking on and UNLV not having to waste a scholarship allow for this discussion and for the coaching staff to not be forced to make a decision about him playing, but kind of have the luxury to be flexible with the options that he presents. And I think him being on the field, whether it's packages with run situations for at quarterback or 
He may be in the slot receiver somewhere, or maybe even in a special teams game. Who knows? He could have an impact for UNLV, and I think you could see that down the road as, as Coach Roy and the staff kind of integrate his talent into the system. So, Caleb, I mean, we're in Las Vegas, and, of course, one of the topics, it's one of the hot topics with this team all late summer leading into camp and so on and so forth has been the win total. Is there anything that you have seen, or are there several things in, in the progress as a inch closer to the start of the season that leads you to believe that uh, the over one and a half and, and, and where the wins are, and are there things now maybe that you have been impressed by where, you know, that you, that they're progressing nicely and, and could possibly, you know, pull off a few wins? Yeah, I mean, I think all there's all off-season indicators point to there should be an improvement in the team, right? I mean, from something as simple as actually having an off-season to install plays and learn plays and, and you know, coach guys up, that's one. Having two consecutive recruiting classes that were top of the conference, like near top, depending on who you ask, of the conference recruiting-wise, and then developing those players for the last two seasons, um, two off-seasons really, and getting them into the mix. Combine that with the transfers that came in during this offseason that are going to make immediate impact. Talking about Wilborn um, and, 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 you know, some Pac-12 talent on that defensive line that's going to absolutely make an impact right away. Um, things as simple as the move for, of Jacoby Winman, which we talked about a little bit last week, to inside linebacker, adding depth at that interior position while also maintaining a presence on the defensive line is huge, and those things will go a long way. All of that on top of just the added year of some young contributors on both sides of the ball um, offensively and defensively, think about Noel Williams and, and then returning guys like Trey Kane in the secondary who are going to have years of experience now. Um, and, and then on the other side of the ball, had young receiver talent that really had a breakout year, freshman of the year offensively. Um, so, that I mean, those things added up to a team that should be improved. How far improved, how much improved, yet to be determined. We'll have to see when the lights come on, right? But I definitely think the over is something that's reasonable for UNLV, especially – and it may just be because of the, the standard of, of what the line is is kind of set so low based on the winless season last year. But I definitely think that the Rebels are going to take a big step this year and continue to take strides as the season goes on and as Coach Royal gets the culture that he wants um, ingrained in the program. And I think uh, the benefits of, of a couple of off-seasons and, and an off-season, a real off-season of prep um, will do a lot of good for UNLV. More good, I think, than any other team in the conference in uh, um, uh, most of the teams across the country because last year was, was really unique for UNLV. There was a lot of transition going on, and I think uh, this year the benefits will be seen of having a, a solid offseason for UNLV more than, uh, than most universities will. There you go, and we'll start to find out for sure next Thursday. You can hear Caleb on the broadcast. UNLV opens the season. A lot of uh, you know enthusiasm and excitement to see how UNLV looks this year in the second year under Marcus Royal. Caleb, awesome work. Go make yourself a banana split. <laughs> I'll try. Cherry popsicle and then a roll of toilet paper on the side. Yes. There you go. That's tomorrow. That's Save tomorrow. those for tomorrow. Uh, we're good. Thanks as always, man. We'll talk to you soon. Later. There you go. Caleb Herring, awesome stuff from him. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.